Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Good morning, everybody. It is Thursday in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. My name is Adam Bittner, Assistant Sports Editor for Multimedia at the Post-Gazette. Here with Paul Zeiss, our Post-Gazette Sports columnist for our weekly Zeiss is Right video. Paul, how are you? I'm good. How are you doing? I am great. What's happening? Steelers training camp is here, Paul. There's lots to talk about. Um, We are recording this on Wednesday, so it is arrival day. We have not yet seen them practice yet. Really just the guys moving into the dorms as we see them every year. Uh, Pat Fryermuth was wearing an Icy Light t-shirt. I think there was a massage chair that got dragged in there. But otherwise, I thought it was a pretty quiet intro compared to you know what we had back in the Antonio Brown days. Uh, Paul, the one big thing that was talked about was T.J. Watt mentioned a playoff win. And he kind of you know didn't shy away from saying that that is a thing that the Steelers need to accomplish. It's been... You know, it's been many years at this point since they won a playoff game. And and he's kind of – it sounded like he's looking at that as kind of a bare minimum. Do you look at that as a bare minimum for this team? And anything less than that, you know, is not a successful season in your eyes? Um, I would say if they don't win a playoff game, if they get to the playoffs and don't win a game – if they get to the playoffs and don't win a playoff game or if they miss the playoffs, um, I would say that basically next year, Mike Tomlin should be on the hot seat. I'll say that. Okay. Uh, Because at that point you're at what? Seven years in a row, eight years in a row without a playoff win. I mean, the Steelers since Chuck Noll was hired in 1969 had never gone five years in a row without a playoff win. So, you know, I, I think there are some people who don't quite understand I, I, what, what are we at six years or seven years without a playoff win, whatever it is. If they don't win a playoff game, I think it's more of one of these things where um, Mike Tomlin should absolutely be on the hot seat. And it should actually be a situation of where next year is winner, you know, go home. Now, as far as TJ Watt basically saying it's a successful season or not, I don't know. I think that if they make the playoffs, you know, if they make the playoffs, for instance, right, and they're a wild card team and they lose at Buffalo in a close playoff game, I have a hard time saying that that's not a pretty significant improvement, number one. More importantly, I have a hard time saying that looking at the makeup of their team, their youth, the quarterback, the youth along the offensive line, some of the places where they're pretty young, I have a hard time saying, well, that – you know, like next year and the year after, they're probably going to take a step forward. So 
I could live with that. What I couldn't live with is either they miss the playoffs altogether or they, 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 they have another playoff game where they, they host somebody and they get boat raced, completely boat raced, right? That's the problem that they've had in the playoffs the last three or four times that they've been there. They've gotten destroyed. Um, yeah, they've only lost by like 10 or 7 or whatever it is, but we all watch the games, you know. Uh, and basically they were down 28 to nothing in, in those games or whatever. And the other team basically just tried to run out the clock. So it, it all depends on how, how they lose in the playoffs, whether or not I would give it uh, give them a, a, a pass for losing. But I think if they don't make the playoffs, then I think there's some, some real questions about whether or not Mike Tomlin is the guy. Um, I, I think that they've spent a lot of money on their defense, and I think that they've got uh, should have a really good defense. I understand that T.J. Watt sometimes has had a hard time staying healthy, but at some point that can't be an excuse for the defense completely falling off the map every time he gets hurt. I think if you look at what they have and how they're built, they should be a team that competes for the playoffs. So I do agree with T.J. Watt. That should be a minimum standard, but I, I don't know that they necessarily have to win a playoff game for it to be a successful season. I would have to see how they lose and who they lose to before I decide whether or not a first-round loss can still be considered a success. Yeah, my standard, Paul, has been by the end of this season, I think they have to be good enough to beat a, a good – one of those top three, Buffalo, uh, Cincinnati, Kansas City. That doesn't necessarily mean I have to see them beat those teams this year, but I think they need to be good enough to really feel like this build is going in the right direction. Um, the one question I have for you, Paul, about the, the playoff streak in general is – and how much that should enter into the pressure on on the guys on this team is, you know, I don't, I think this is the best roster that they've had since probably 2018. I look at that 2019 team. You didn't have the guys at quarterback to compete 2020. Uh, ben was back, but he very much declined at the end of the season. The analytics, you know, were flashing red light, you know, warning signs that things were going wrong with him. Things that persisted into, 2021 and then 2022 you're, you're starting over again I just wonder how much that pressure should be on this team given that I, I look at the last four years as kind of a transitional time but you seem and I think a lot of people seem to have a different opinion on that yeah I mean I I, I would say that you know to me this is probably um, last year was the rebuild quote-unquote the rebuilding year uh, this year looks like they have everything in place to be a pretty good football team. They have everything in place to be what they need to be when it comes to um, the fact that they are uh, uh, capable now of, uh, I think, moving the football. I think they're capable of, of being successful on offense. I think they've got a quarterback now who's got, what, what is it, 10, 12, 11, 11, 12, 13 games, whatever it is, under his belt. Uh, he'll get more and more confident as the season goes on. And, and I just feel like this is a team that is actually now, you know, gotten through the tough part, which is all the instability at certain positions and the instability of rebuilding and kind of trying to remake the roster and try to figure out, you know, who fits where. I mean, now I think they're in a pretty good spot. I really do. Yeah, I, I do too, and, and that's why I said my standard is, you know, even if they drop some games early in the season that we think they should win, I think by the end of the season, you need to see a team that, that is a credible threat in the playoffs. 
Um, because that's at a certain point, Paul, that's what this is all about with, with Kenny Pickett and him being on, you know, that rookie salary. You're only going to – it's a ticking clock. You only have so long before you either have to pay him or maybe you have to go find another quarterback if, if that's not going to work out. So, you know, th- there's not much of a, you know, kind of safety net anymore for him in my eyes. Do you think when you look at the – just roster-wise, you think the, this team is a credible threat to those teams we mentioned before, Cincinnati, Buffalo – and Kansas City. Do you look at them on paper the same way you look at those teams on paper and it's more a question of them putting it all together or do you think that those teams still have a little bit more talent and this team is going to have to overcome and prove that it, it can win tough games against teams that might be a little bit better on paper? Kind of like I think of those 2005 Steelers, Ben Roethlisberger's first Super Bowl team, where I don't think they were better than Indianapolis, but they went, were able to go in there and get a win um, and, and then go on to win the Super Bowl. Well, I'll put it like this, and it's hard to, it's very hard to make this because you can't make this, you know, statement, but I'm going to. If you take Mahomes and Allen and Burrow out of the equation, I think the Steelers roster probably matches up pretty well with just about every one of those teams. The question is, how much is that quarterback worth? And the Steelers have proven over the course of time, and teams have proven over the course of time, that, you know, if you have a really good team and you happen to play really well, you've got a shot to overcome maybe that kind of deficiency or that kind of deficit at quarterback. That's really what it comes down to in my mind. I mean, and so I don't think the Steelers are that far behind those teams. But the question is, can you beat Patrick Mahomes in a playoff game? I, I mean, we've seen very few teams able to do that. And I don't think the Steelers team is the team to do it because, again, you got to keep up with them. You got to keep up with him scoring. Now, can you beat Josh Allen in a playoff game? Yeah, I, I think I think the Steelers good. I think that the, the Josh Allen is a guy who's proven that in the playoffs and when the pressure's on and things of the such, he hasn't proven really that he's a guy that you know can really elevate that team to the next level. Burrow, on the other hand, has proven that. So, okay, you got to beat Joe Burrow. And, you know, they've had some success against him in the regular season. But at the end of the day, um, if you're asking me, do I think this team is closer to those top three teams? I do. But I think that only one of those top – like, if you ask me who I think they could beat in a playoff game, I would say Buffalo is probably the only of the three, unless they played out of their minds and the other team didn't play very well. So – they're, they've definitely closed the gap. But again, you've got to close the gap on three of the best quarterbacks in the league. Yeah, and three of the, I think, best quarterbacks, you know, for years to come. And I think that's the daunting thing if you're the Steelers is they're not going anywhere for a good long while. Um, Paul, I want to ask you about position battles and training camp. But before I do, just a quick shout out to our sponsors at Pella Windows and Doors of Pittsburgh. They're sponsoring all of our Steelers coverage this season on the YouTube channel. Um, there's no better place to get new windows and doors installed in your home than Pella, who can help you save on energy costs year-round. Schedule a free in- in-home consultation with your local Pella windows and doors to find the right product for your home and budget. Give them a call at 866-593-1560 to discuss your project further. That's 866-593-1560 to get started planning on your new windows and doors installation with Pella Windows and Doors of Pittsburgh. Paul, I talked a little bit about this with Ray Fittipaldo on Monday on the North Shore Drive podcast because I was in for Chris Carter. Um, but I'm going to ask you what your thoughts are as well in terms of, of training camp battles here. 
uh, roster, you know, competitions for roster spots, competition for starting spots. What are the places that you're looking at, um, you know, as, as things get started in Latrobe on, on Thursday afternoon? Um, I think that, you know, the, there's a couple of positions uh, that, that are going to be very, very interesting to me. The offensive line, Adam, is intriguing to me. Okay, let's face it. Let you start with the left tackle position, obviously. You draft a kid in the first round. You Actually, I think didn't they? Uh, it all runs together. Didn't they move up to get him a few spots this year? Didn't they move up again this year? Yeah. If I'm not mistaken, to go get uh, uh, Broderick Jones? Yes, they okay. did. Okay, well, here's the thing, Adam. We're all going to be watching. Is he going to be the guy? You know, are they going to give him every rep? With the first team, are they going to make him compete with Dan Moore? Are they going to make him just say, "Hey, you're our guy. We invested. It's your job." That's a big difference, if you ask me. It's a big difference. But either way, we're all going to be watching left tackle because they—that's they, where they drafted a guy, and uh, you know. And then if Dan Moore, okay, they decide he's going to lose the battle, do they let him compete with Chooks and Corfor on the other side? That's another question that I think people really want to want to uh, you know find answers to. They brought in some guys on the, in, in the interior offensive line. Okay, is Kevin Dotson going to make the team if he's not the starting guard? You know, if he's not a starter, right? If he loses his job to say the Isaac uh, Samula, what's his name, Samula, whatever his name is, yeah. Samala. If he loses his job to that guy, what happens? Do they cut him? You know, he's been a guy that has really been frustratingly not uh, uh, capable of really living up to his potential. I mean, he's a big, strong guy. He's got a lot of athletic ability, but he just has never seemed to really put it all together to become the player they think he is or think he can be. So there's a couple of battles on the offensive line that I'll watch. Obviously, um, you know, Joey Porter at corner, is he going to win that starting job? Is he going to be the guy that is able to, uh, you know, go out from day one and show – that he's their best option at playing corner. You know, there's a couple of other guys that are out there that, you know, that, that, that they've had for a couple of years or whatever, Levi Wallace, some of these other guys like that. But for the most part, same type deal. He wasn't a first-round pick, but they basically said if if, uh, if Broderick Jones wasn't there, they were going to take Joey Porter. So they, they have a first-round expectation for him. Um, that tells me that they're probably going to give him a chance to uh, to be the corner, starting corner. So, I mean, uh, and, and, and clearly to me, I'm going to be very interested to see how much they really are going to emphasize the run game and how much they're going to let Kenny Pickett throw the ball. Yeah, what do you think what, – what's that balance look like to you, Paul? I, I think we talk about it all the time. They're going to become a running team. But I, I think that's sometimes hard to define in terms of, you know, is it is it going to be 60-40? I just have a hard time seeing that working in the modern NFL. Like, I, I think it's one thing to say we want to run the ball well. I think every team does. But it's a question of how heavily are, are we talking about in your eyes um, for this to work? Because, it's I mean, it's not the 90s anymore, Paul. What, what does that look like to you in today's NFL, running the ball and being a running team? Well, I would tell you, I think one of the biggest uh, the biggest things is I think there's a misconception that they're going to go back to, you know, Franco and Rocky Blyer and three yards in a cloud of dust. I don't think that's what they are really talking about when they're talking about the running game. I think what they're talking about is being able to close games with their running game. 
right? Being able to run the football when they want to run the football, getting better at the point of attack, getting better at blocking, getting better at, at, at your running backs, making the tough yards to extend drives, to get past the sticks and get first downs and all the stuff that you need to do to move the football, to give yourself a chance as an offense, all of those things, right? So when I hear people say they're going to emphasize the run game, it sounds a lot to me like people think they're going to go back to that three yards in a cloud of dust. I just don't think that's going to be the case. I think Kenny Pickett will throw the ball 20, 25 times a game, you know, uh, some games, maybe more. I think they will use the, 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 the passing game to try and score and the running game to sort of just try and, you know, finish games and close out teams and, and become the more physical offense or the more physical unit on the field, you know, and, and, and that's sort of the formula. I wrote about this the other day. It's sort of the formula they used when Ben Roethlisberger was, you know, in his cup first couple of years. I mean, he only had 17 touchdown passes his first season, right? And and I think he threw for like 2,400 yards. Uh, but what they made sure is that in games where they needed him to throw, he made he, he made big throws, and there were times when they would, you know, throw it more than other times. It, it wasn't until about five or six years or four or five years into his career that he became this guy that just flung the ball over the field, right? I mean, at the most for the most part, uh, his first few years – they were able to score, get leads, and then use Jerome Bettis and Willie Parker and company to just basically grind the other team out and, and close out games. So I, I'll be shocked, Adam, if we're talking about a team that comes out in the first quarter and tries to establish the run as opposed to running offense and mixing in the pass and the run and trying to, you know what I mean? But as the game goes on, if the Steelers are doing well, you know, I think the thought is if, if we're winning the game, we don't want to put Kenny Pickett in a position where he might make some mistakes late in the game that could cost us. So if we can close the game with our running game, we're going to become a little bit more run heavy in the second half. I think that's what we're probably looking at. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I think the word I want to use is being able to run situationally. I think you mentioned in the first, second quarter, first half of games, I think you want to be able to, if it's a third and four, you're a credible threat to maybe run the ball there and defenses are going to have to respect that you might be able to run for a first down with that, like, you know, third and, and medium depth. Um, you know, I, I think that you want to be a credible threat to, to run or pass on every play, and that opens up the playbook for you a little bit. So I'd say that's number one. Then number two in terms of running situation, it's just what you mentioned. Can you close out games? Can you, can you wind some clock if you have a lead? Um, can you keep opposing quarterbacks like Patrick Mahomes off the field if you have to face him? Um, because I think that's probably the best way to stop some of these guys, Paul, is, you know, and, and we, yeah. we saw with those 2005, 2008 era teams that they they were able to beat good teams by keeping those quarterbacks off the field. And I think that's where you have to be able to run situationally and, and hit those key runs. It's not necessarily about, like you said, three yards in a cloud of dust and moving forward like it's Navy's offense or something. It's about, right. you know, being, being credible to other other defenses. That's the key. And, and, and the, the other thing is, Adam, if you possess the ball for three or four minutes, right, because you're running and getting a couple of first downs, you get a, you run the ball a couple of times, you mix in the pass, right? Okay, if you're, if you're doing that consistently, you're limiting the number of possessions other teams get. And it, so, if, if, so it, 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 it doesn't sound like a big deal, 
but say you can make the Chiefs go from 12 possessions to like nine. Well, that's three less times that Patrick Mahomes is going to touch the ball. Now, all of a sudden, if you get some stops, you know, you get a couple of things that go your way, you can really put yourself in a good position as, as hey, listen, we, we, we can hold this team under 28 or under 30, which is, you know, it's very hard to do. It's, but you have to use your offense as part of your defense. And that's what I think the Steelers are trying to do. I, 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 I all these people that are losing their minds and acting like, you know, like you said, the Steelers are going to go to the wing T or to, you know, to Navy's offense or something. That's not going to happen. That's just not going to happen. At the end of the day, they are not going to be uh, that much more of a running offense or whatever than they, than they have been. I just think that, you know, people are overreacting to the idea of them being a running offense. Yeah, it's. I think it's about having the ability to do, like, to dictate and decide what you want to do and put defenses in. Yeah, that's that's what the the coach jargon they use all the time now. Put teams in conflict, right? Um, I think that's that's the goal here is to be a little bit more credible than you've been in years past. And to their credit, they took a, a step forward in that direction. I think what we're talking about is is the evolution from what you saw last year you know, getting to another level with that in terms of, you know, opening up the pass with the run a little bit. Um, Paul, any other uh, training camp storylines sticking out to you before we move on, talk a little Pirates trade deadline here? No, today was the first day of moving, and I got to be honest with you, Adam, a little disappointed. It's very boring. I know the most exciting thing was uh, I think the two specialists had some sort of a massage chair that they carried from their car to the dorms. There was no helicopters bringing people in. There was nobody coming in like, you know, uh, uh, souped up uh, tractors. There was no, you know, uh, real flashy uniform uh, suits or whatever. It was actually kind of boring. Move-in day was kind of boring. I think a lot of Steelers fans are happy. We're not. You and I like to have things to talk about in terms of of those types of things. But I think there's a lot of fans who, after after the last handful of years, I think they probably appreciate that, Paul. just a real quick shout out to Pella again the, before we stop with the Steelers here, sponsoring all our Steelers uh, content this season. Um, with that, Paul, I now want to get into the Pirates and the trade deadlines this week. And we have heard that this, the Pirates are listening to offers. I think it was John Heyman reported that they're listening to offers for Mitch Keller, for David Bednar. Our Jason Mackey doesn't seem to think it's particularly particularly likely those guys get moved. But I know you have kind of a different thought, especially with regard to David Bednar. Let's just start with those two, and then I want to talk about some of the other veterans that may be on the trade block here. What do you think the likelihood is that those guys will get traded, and what do you think the likelihood should be that those guys get traded? Because I think those are two different conversations. You mean Keller and Bednar? Yes. Um, I'm going to go I'm, – I'm, I actually kind of agree with Jason Mackey. They both should be moved. It's not even a question. Now, if you want to tell me that you're keeping Keller around because you're going to give him an extension because you think that he can be a part of like the middle, you know, like your third, you know, your third starter or whatever, you think you think it can be a middle of the rotation guy for the next four or five years and give you a lot of good innings and 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 you know, obviously you need you need to have strong middle of your uh, the, the middle of your order has to be strong. If you're going to tell me that they're going to extend him and and do all that stuff. Okay, I, I can live with him uh, staying around. It makes no sense to keep David Bednar on the team. It makes no sense. You go get the best possible deal you can get. 
because at the end of the day, if you're looking to find a closer, we've seen ample evidence that the, that the Pirates have seem, seemingly been able to find a guy that can go down there and get three outs at the end of the game. Um, to me, you're, you're on a horrible team going nowhere. Uh, I would shop Bednar, see what you can get for him. I think the likelihood of, like I said, I agree with with Jason that the likelihood of either of those guys getting traded is probably not much, and partly and partly because the Pirates uh, are probably going to ask for too much in return, and that's really what it comes down to. And so, but if they're really doing business the right way, Bednar absolutely should be traded. Keller, I could make a case that you could bring him back because Roti, you know, he's a, he's a good solid starter. Uh, that would be a good middle of the rotation guy for you, uh, but only if you're going to extend them and keep them keep them around for a, a while. Yeah, I mean, I, I see the case with Bednar with Keller. I think I think that would infuriate a lot of people, and I think for good reason because you, this is a guy you dealt with for years, Paul. So to grow him, he was supposed to be a part of this bright future that you know this rebuild has been working toward. They have him under control for a long period of time. If at the first sign of success, their reaction is just to trade a guy like that, Paul, where I don't think there's any super obvious guys other than Paul Skeens in this in the system that you're looking at and saying <laughs> that guy's going to be as good as Mitch, Mitch Keller is someday. I don't think that, that there's an obvious guy in, in this organization that, that has that Mitch Keller um, you know, likelihood of success. I just th- I think a lot of people would say this is the reason we don't believe in this franchise if you trade a Mitch Keller after really only one year of success if you go back to last June when he started to turn things around from another terrible start. Yeah, I mean, I think the thing about it is, uh, Keller, again, if you are – and I think we're on the same page, Adam. If you're going to extend them and make them a part of your team for the next five or six – you know, four or five years, absolutely, because I think he could become a really good – you know, vet, he, he, and he's already now that veteran starter. But I mean, you need those guys. Uh, my thing is, he's not the ace. He should. If he's your ace, you're not good enough. I would even argue if he's your number two, you're not good enough. You know, I think he's a, a really solid middle of the rotation guy who can give you a lot of innings. Who can, you know, who can win games for you. Who can throw up. You know, what was it, two or three games ago where he went seven innings and didn't give up any earned runs? He can do that for you. He's a guy that could probably win playoff games for you, you know, in the NLDS or whatever. I mean, he's, he's that kind of uh, pitcher where, okay, now your ace went against their ace, your second went against their second. Guess what? Mitch Keller against their third, you're probably uh, in, in a good spot there. Um, so, but, 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 but here's the thing, Adam. If they're, if they're going to just trade them in the offseason or let them sort of move away, I, I, I say get rid of them now. Yeah, I mean, if, if you're going to trade him anyway, then I, I'd say you, you should leverage the asset for for as much as you can get. I just I wonder if you know if, if they trade him, what does that say about everyone that comes after him? I think it sends a bad message. But Paul, I also want to get into some of these veteran guys who are on expiring contracts. Um, really, probably not going to be a, a part of this team's future, but they're a big part of, of of the present, right? In the case of Carlos Santana, he had the two home runs the other night. In San Diego, he's brought you know a he's not a great player at this stage of his career, but he, he brings he's a capable guy, right? And, and he brought the ability to come come up with some big hits, help them win some games. It's it's hard for me to imagine this team without him. How bad things could get without him? Without guys like Rich Hill, who again not a superstar here, but he's eaten a lot of innings capably. He's kept he's kept them in games, given them a chance to win. 
a lot of nights. Um, it, it, what do you think of, of those guys, Paul? Does it matter that this team could careen out of control without, you know, one, two of those guys still around? What difference does it make? That's my question. What difference does it make if they, if they, if they, if they, if they, if they win 70 or they win 74 or they win 68 and where it wins, it doesn't matter at this point. They have made it very clear. They punted on this season. They made it very clear. This season is, you know, uh, not important. They made it very clear early on. They made it very clear. They just don't care about winning this year that they're, you know, all of their projections suggest they're a year away at the very least and all that other stuff. So if they don't care, why should we? My, that's number one. Number two, what, okay, why would you, 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 you signed Santana, you signed Rich Hill, you know, you signed these guys for the exact reason that we're talking about here, that you hope that you are going to be able to turn them into something else at the trade deadline. So if they don't trade the, either of those guys, that, that's idiotic. That's a really poor use of your resources. People say, well, all you're going to get maybe is a, is, a, is a high A or, you know, maybe a double A kind of prospect or whatever. Okay, good. Keep adding, you know, keep adding young guys to your system. Do you know why? Because for every 30 that you add, only one or two of them are going to pan out. So if you only add 15, you, your, your chances of having one or two of them really panning out, guess what? Probably go down. So to me, move on from Carlos Santana. Move on from Rich Hill, and you know what? Let younger guys take up all those innings and reps and everything else and and and, and see what happens. Um, I think there's absolutely no reason why either one of those teams should – either one of those guys should still be on this team next week when we talk. Yeah, I mean, I certainly see the argument for that, Paul. I just think that I, I, without those guys, this team is not – I don't think we're going to be talking about the end of the season – measurable progress that that you can say that this thing feels like it's moving in the right direction and to be fair these guys should not be the guys making the difference between progress and no progress it should be these young players um so maybe that is really all that matters is that you know regardless of what the win total is do you feel good about what these young guys have been doing and if you don't then it doesn't really matter what what these old guys are doing because they're not going to be a part of the future you're trying to build anyway um, right i mean i I mean again i'm I'm just Okay, great. Carlos Santana is a veteran guy who's got a good bat, and you know he's he's, he's in terms of uh, you know he's really played pretty well at first base. He's a guy that is you know, mentoring the young kids and all this other stuff. Wonderful. Hopefully that means his value on the trade market is a little bit higher, right? Because that's the whole point of bringing in Carlos Santana and Rich Hill. Hopefully next year, Adam. Hopefully next year they're going to be thinking in terms of we want to be a playoff team so if they sign a few veteran guys like that in the offseason it's with the hope that they're going to help push them over the top and get them into the wild card right but this year when they signed those guys it was very clear they were signing them in order to make sure that they had a couple of trade chips to try and you know to use at the deadline that's the bottom line how bad of a sign, speaking of this, the young guys should be doing more thing, Paul. How bad of a sign was it when Connor Joe started working out at second base? Did you see that the other day that, that <laughs> they had him working out at second base? He's he's a, you know, I think Connor Joe's a decent guy. He's, he's done some good things for this team. I don't want to diminish him. But with all the middle infield prospects that we've been told they have, 
for that guy who is probably not going to be part of this team's future to be working out at second base at this stage of the season is it's pretty horrifying, don't you think, Paul? Uh, I don't even know what that's all about, and don't don't want to know what that's all about, really. Especially since they don't they have like ninety seven middle infielders on. That's what team? I said. I yeah. mean, and, and they're and they're all young guys, like Connor Jones, another guy. Listen, I would call up, you know, I would call up every single team in the league, and say, listen, I'll give you Connor Joe. I, use that old Buddy Ryan line. I'd give you Connor Joe for a six pack. It doesn't even have to be cold. Right, I mean that's the buddy when, when Buddy Ryan when Buddy Ryan traded Ernest Jackson. I think he traded him to the Steelers, if I'm not mistaken. He basically said, uh, uh, you know, I, I, I'll trade him. You know, we'll, we're gonna we'll trade him for a six pack, and it doesn't even have to be cold. It applies to Connor Joe. Every single person out there, every single team out there, uh, cash considerations. Uh, who is the worst player on your you know on your Frontier League team? We'll take that guy, okay, or whatever. I mean, at the end of the day, my point is, why are you even messing around with Connor Joe at this point in the season? Yeah, I think it's you've got all these middle infield prospects, and you don't have a guy to fill that void that's not Connor Joe. I, that's that's a bad sign. But Paul, we'll we'll have I think two months now after this trade deadline to get into some of these younger guys on the roster and discussing how they are. But you know, at this point, it's all about the trade deadline. So. Glad we, we put a button on that conversation. <laughs> Before I let you go, Paul, I want to ask you about these Pat Narduzzi comments today at ACC Media Days. Um, he more or less made the argument that there should be an NIL or excuse me, NIL cap on the bigger programs, your Penn States, your Ohio States, your Michigans, your Georgias, your Alabamas, because those teams have deep pockets in terms of donors who can line up NIL deals, get the best players there. Pat Narduzzi seems to think, you know, teams like Pitt are going to be relegated to like a permanent second tier if they can't afford to compete on that NIL level. What we're talking about here, Paul, sounds like a salary cap for college football. Um, So I just wanted to get your thoughts on his argument because he's been a consistent opponent of this NIL stuff. Um, You know, he gradually seems to adapt to that this is the reality now of college sports and, and softens his line a little bit. But this is just, I think, the latest in a pattern with him um, of just saying, you know, that this isn't good for Pitt in the long run. What, what do you think of that? I, I, I think that Pat Narduzzi is um, basically being extremely naive, number one. Number two, no offense, but when you open it up for a uh, – when you open it up to basically the free market system, it's got to be the free market system. Nobody's telling, you know, nobody's telling uh, schools they have to pay these athletes yet. And that's a good thing. I'm okay with athletes getting their money via private sector. I would have a problem if, you know, we started saying, okay, you know, uh, employees, uh, they're employees of the university, so they're going to get a salary. Because that, to me, I think would be a far, far, far greater injustice in terms of, uh, creating two tiers, right? Because the bottom line is Penn State, for instance, can afford to pay because if you're paying football players, guess what, Adam? You got to pay, you know, baseball players and softball players and you got to pay, you know, you can't just pay, you know, the revenue sports. So all of them have to go on salary. Volleyball, softball, wrestling, swimming, all of them, okay? 
a school like Penn State, a school like Alabama, they can afford to do that. I'm not sure there's a lot of other schools, you know, that once you get beyond a certain number there, that can really truly afford to pay all of their athletes. In this model, the way it is, I mean, theoretically, Oklahoma State's got T Boone Pickens. They can pay whatever the hell they want to pay, right? They can match anybody. And 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 there's a number of schools like that that have a couple of really, really big billionaire type donors. If you if they want to win, you know, if those donors want to win, if the alum want to win so bad, put your money where your mouth is. I have no problem with the way NIL is. You know, I I, I have a bit, I have a little bit of a problem with the transfer portal, but that's just just that's just to me it, it never was supposed to become be what it's become, which is just stupid. But my point about NIL is, I think it's the most level playing field there is, because at the end of the day, even if I, I mean you, you don't think Harvard has a few billionaires that graduated, millionaires that graduated from there, if they really, really are really that interested in winning. Okay, put together NIL deals for your guys, you know? And at that point, and at that point, here's the other part of it. The money can go to the people that generate the money. Because as a private donor, I don't have to say, well, I'm giving 100 bucks for an NIL deal for a football player, so I got to, you know, for Title IX, give 100 bucks to a softball player. I don't got to do that. So to me, I think Pat Narduzzi is way off the mark here, way off the mark. Should his message on NIL be more so? Listen, pit donors, you got to step up. I mean, yes. Is, is, does he is he get more out of saying that publicly than kind of coddling their feelings and saying, "Oh, we got to we got to rein in the, the bigger teams"? Should he be putting his energy into saying, "Like, come on, if we want to compete, this is what we have to do"? Pitt's problem isn't that they don't have rich alum. It, their problem is they don't have is their rich alum are cheap, and or they don't support the programs. That's the problem. There's, and it's not a blanket. Gen, I mean, obviously there are some, you know, like Bowser and there's, you know, I mean, there's some, but, but even like, even at a different level of, of being rich than that, you know, uh, what's the guy's name that uh, the, the, uh, the Peterson uh, family obviously has given a lot of money. Uh, the cost obviously used to, he gave a lot of money. Uh, yeah. Uh, Armin Delavade used to give, you know, and he was a, but, but the bottom line is there's not enough of those guys, you know, Pitt has a bunch of wannabe, what I call wannabe donors, you know, they give just enough so they can sit prominently at the basketball games and, you know, have a, in, in their mind, a little bit of say in terms of some of the, you know, stuff that goes on with the Panther club. But for the most part, they don't have donors, a ton of them. And that's really what Pat should say. Well, if you want us to continue to compete, we need money. We need money for our NIL. So if you're an alum and you're bitching about the fact that, you know, we, 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 we are losing recruits and this and that everything, get out your wallet. That's what I would say. Yeah, and you know what? I think it, it extends all the way down, Paul, because I had Mike Mowdy, the uh, former Penn State All-American, on here talking about Penn State's NIL situation. And – you know, they're kind of in the same boat of Penn State alums are pretty reluctant to, you know, kind of go into this pay-to-play situation into this world because it's antithetical to a lot of things Joe Paterno talked about and that, you know, like it or not, if you're a Pitt fan, that that that, that athletic department believes that it's built on. And Mike Mowdy's argument that it was that it, it goes all the way down to, like, if you can give 50 bucks, can you give 100 bucks? You know, that that 
type of stuff makes a difference over a large fan base. Um, should he be put, put more money into that too? And just saying on the grassroots level, listen, you Joe Pitt fan can make a difference here. If you're directing just a little bit of money here, if everyone chips in a little bit, that can be a lot of money for the program. Right. But I think the other part of it is like, I was talking to a guy who does, you know, he, he works at a university and does donate, does, uh, you know, he's a development guy, you know, fundraiser, whatever you want to call him. And he basically said when he calls donors, now the question is, okay, well, you're calling me because you want this new facility. Do you want $10,000 for carpets or do you want $10,000 for a new quarterback? What do you want? I can't, you know what I mean? It's created that kind of a dilemma for a lot of donors and athletic departments because now athletic departments, again, you're raising money from these people, but the coalition of the NIL is a little is a, is a different situation. You know, is different. So at the end of the day, you have to basically have a lot of donors, a lot of people that are willing to give money nowadays because they got to give money for NIL, and you've got to raise money for still for you know the arms race where we have to have new TVs and the the coolest new, uh, slickest new video games and all the other stuff in the in the locker rooms. And you know what I mean? All that other stuff that that they spend a lot of money on every single year. All of that stuff adds up. But at the end of the day, if you're not going to put together a really good coalition for your NIL, you, you're going to lose. And he, so he's right about that. But that's not the NCAA's problem. That's not the system's problem. That's a pit donor problem. Yeah, and, and you would think, I think the Jordan Addison situation should have been a wake-up call, kind of in the way that, that the Micah Shrewsbury situation was at Penn State, where it didn't directly impact football, which is what people really care about up there, but it was enough of an embarrassment that they really have mobilized. I think Pitt's got to get to that mentality, and I think they've got to do it soon, or, or they could get left behind on this, Paul. No question. No it, question. I think – I think a lot of schools that are, you know, are still trying to be resistant a little bit or they're hoping for help from Congress or whatever, they're way behind now. You know, some of them figured it out. You listen, you can, I think he's a scumbag. You can say whatever you want to say about Jimbo Fisher, but they figured it out at Texas A&M, didn't they? And, and every incoming freshman gets $25,000 just like that. It's a $25,000 deal like that. Every incoming freshman. You come here. You get $25,000 to start, and we're going to figure out it, you know, and then, and then we'll figure it out. They have a coalition that raises a lot of money. That's why they recruit well. It's not rocket science. And I would add, AM traditionally isn't a team that should be, you know, beating Alabama and even, you know, schools like Miami and, you know, Florida State and all these other schools that are Ohio State, you know, that always get, guess what, AM. I think the last two years have had the, either the top or the top three recruiting classes. There's no secret to what they're doing. Yeah, I agree. Any final thoughts, Paul, on the week before we uh, really getting into the teeth of Steelers training camp here? No, I'm going to be looking forward to it. I think I'm going up there tomorrow, so I'm going to be looking forward to seeing all these position battles and see what happens. Uh, and next week, I'm sure we'll have a lot of juicy stuff to talk about. Absolutely. Well, make sure you're signed up for the YouTube channel. Please subscribe. Please pop the like, help us out with the YouTube algorithm. Please check out the subscription deal down in the description. It is currently 99 cents for three months of unlimited access to postgazette.com. Everything I'm writing, everything Paul's writing, everything all our Steelers guys out of the trove are, are writing. Brian Backer, Rafa DePaulo, Jerry Dulac, 
you get access to all that for one dollar for three months that'll get you right up you know into the regular season for football so make sure you're signed up um otherwise we'll talk to you again next week all right adam have a good one buddy thank you for checking out this content from post gazette sports if you like the video please like it and subscribe to our youtube channel if you enjoyed it on apple podcasts please rate us five stars on apple podcasts for six months of digital access to post gazette.com for just six dollars click the link down in the description